Well, it is a pleasure to be with you once again, to stand behind the sacred desk on Sunday morning. Um, so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 3 through 7. And as I was thinking about um, what topic that God would want me to speak on, the word that just kept coming to my mind is suffering, 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 because there's a lot of suffering going on around us. Um, as I think about little Doug and many others in our church that are suffering right now, I thought the most appropriate message today would be to talk about finding purpose in suffering. So that's the title of our message today, Finding Purpose in Suffering. Second Corinthians is considered to be one of the most difficult letters to understand in the New Testament. It is also one of the most personal letters that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. Second Corinthians reveals Paul's heart for the church at Corinth, as well as his heart for ministry in general. Paul is responsible for planting the Corinthian church during his first visit to Corinth in Acts 18. While in Corinth, Paul would go into the synagogue every Sabbath to reason with the Jews and the Greeks in an attempt to persuade them that Jesus is the awaited Messiah. Of course, they didn't like this, so they began to insult and criticize Paul. In response, in Acts 18, 6, it says, And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. However, the word of God was effective in spite of their opposition, and a man named Crispus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. According to Acts 18.8, there's much more that happens in the book of Acts in chapter 18, but we're not going to cover all that this morning. But I encourage you on your own time to go read that and be as the Bereans and see for yourself what this event was like. After these events, Paul spends a year and a half with the church at Corinth, teaching them the word of God. Paul stays in Corinth for a while longer, but then leaves setting sail for Ephesus, ultimately on his way to Macedonia. Sometime after leaving the church in Corinth, Paul receives a bad report about the church, which we can read about in 1 Corinthians. One of the main issues that had to be dealt with was sexual immorality in the church. There was a man guilty of incest in the church, and the Corinthians didn't do anything about it as if it was okay. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, which says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. The content of this letter Paul wrote to them is actually unknown, and scholars refer to it as letter A. While Paul was still ministering in Ephesus on his third missionary journey, he receives disturbing news about divisions in the church, which we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. The church at Corinth also wrote Paul a letter, seeking clarification on issues regarding marriage, food sacrifice to idols, and other practical concerns. Paul's response to their questions is the reason that we have the book or letter 
1 Corinthians today. This was Paul's second letter to Corinth, known as letter B. Because Paul was not able to leave the work he was doing in Ephesus, he sent Timothy to Corinth, most likely taking the letter of 1 Corinthians with him. All the details surrounding this event aren't crystal clear, but it is believed that Timothy comes back from delivering this letter to the Corinthians and brings Paul a bad report that things had gotten worse in the church. This caused Paul to abandon his current plans in order to make an unplanned visit to Corinth. Unfortunately, this visit from Paul did not go well. This visit is referred to as the sorrowful or painful visit in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul was personally attacked by a member of the church and left Corinth filled with grief over the sin of the Corinthians. When Paul returned to Ephesus, he wrote another letter. This letter was a more emotional or forceful or angry letter, which he sent to the Corinthians through Titus. Paul makes reference to this letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, which says, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. This letter is actually now a lost letter. We don't have that letter in our Bibles. And it's referred to as the lost letter, or by scholars, it's called letter C. Unlike Timothy, who returned with bad news, Titus now returns to Paul with good news. The Corinthians actually received Paul's strongly worded letter and did something about it. They disciplined the sexually immoral person who was practicing incest among them. However, we do not get a happy ending at this point. Titus also brought back some bad news with him. False teachers who were claiming to be apostles sent by the church in Jerusalem arrived in Corinth and many people in the church had started to follow after these false teachers. They were trying to bring Paul's credibility as an apostle into question. Paul responded to this threat by sending Titus directly to Corinth with the letter that we will be exploring this morning, 2 Corinthians, making this Paul's fourth letter to the church at Corinth. The main purpose of this letter is reconciliation and restoration. Paul's hope in writing 2 Corinthians is that it would prepare the church for his next visit so that when he comes, he doesn't have to flex his authority and discipline, but he can instead use his God-given authority to edify or build up the church instead. I realize this is a lengthy introduction, but it would be difficult to understand our passage this morning without this background in history. Read with me 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 through 7, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, or ESV. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, 
which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Dear Lord, we need you. We need you now, Father. We need you at all times. Lord, I come before your throne this morning asking that you would speak clearly to your people. Lord, I believe this is the message that you want us to hear today. Lord, you are the Father of all mercy. You are our great and mighty God. You are able. And Lord, we are calling on you this morning to speak, to open our eyes to how we walk through suffering, that there is purpose in our suffering. In Jesus' name, amen. Allow me to share with you an excerpt called Songs in the Night by an unknown author. Elihu, in the book of Job, asked, where is God who giveth songs in the night? David, in in 42 Psalms, answered, in the night his song shall be with me. The strongest argument of the atheist has to do with the problem of human suffering. Epicurus, who lived 342 to 270 BC, presented three concepts about God and human suffering. One, If God wishes to prevent evil and cannot, he is not all-powerful. Two, if God can prevent evil and will not, he is not good. And three, if God has the power and will to eliminate evil, why is there evil in the world? The fallacy is his belief that no good can be served by God allowing evil or suffering. Everyone will pass through dark valleys sooner or later. All will become ill. Some will become permanently ill. It is an illusion that this side of heaven, all diseases will be wiped out. For all of us, there will be periods of suffering, bereavement, discouragement, danger, and difficulty. There are those who give up their fidelity to God because they do not believe God is fair. They ask, what have I done to deserve this? Why are children born disabled or dead? Why is there cancer? Why me? How will we answer these and similar questions? How will we learn to sing songs at night by having faith in the sovereignty of God? The world is not being ruled by a chance, but by a God who is in control. Even a sparrow cannot fall without his notice. So he cares about us. Nothing can happen that does not concern God. Amen. Jesus sang in the darkest nights of his life on earth. The Apostle John sang songs of joy and praise while in exile on the island of Patmos at midnight. David arose and gave thanks to God. Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Our lives will become stronger and our spirituality deeper when we learn to sing songs at midnight. The big idea of our passage this morning is that God hears and responds to the suffering of his people. And he enables us through our suffering to provide comfort to others who are in the midst of their own unique sufferings. There are three biblical truths that arise from this text that I would like to share with you today. Number one, God is the only true source of comfort. Number two, 
God blesses his people so that they can bless others. And thirdly, when we share in each other's suffering, we also have the opportunity to share in each other's comfort. Point number one, God is the only true source of comfort. Read with me verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. This very first line of this verse is an emotional outburst from Paul. Paul was so relieved that Titus had brought back good news from Corinth that it welled up inside of him and flowed out as praise to God. If you recall from the introduction, Paul had sent them a severe letter which had created tension between him and the church. To find out from Titus that the Corinthian believers had not only received the severe letter, but that they repented and turned from their sin as a result of his letter was a reason for Paul to rejoice. Let me read for you part of the account this is drawn from. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 10, it says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieving, you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. You also may recall from the intro that the news Titus brought back was a mixed bag. On one hand, Paul was blessed that they heeded his words, but on the other hand, he had gotten the report about the false teachers or fake apostles that were in Corinth leading people astray and seeking to discredit Paul's ministry. It is believed that because there were still problems in the Corinthian church, Paul gave them a lesser greeting than he normally would. Typically, when Paul would address a church, he would start with expressing thanksgiving for some way in which that church was growing in holiness. Apparently, Paul didn't have much to commend the Corinthians about. And as my grandma used to say, Boy, if you can't say nothing good, don't say nothing at all. So hence we have a greeting that's a little bit different than what Paul typically would open a letter with. The verse says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another way to say this is blessed be God, who is also the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and who is therefore our Father by adoption and redemption as well as our God by creation. This is actually a very weighty statement that testifies to the believer's position in Christ as an adopted son or daughter. The last section of this verse says, the father of mercies and God of all comfort. To refer to God as the father of mercies is a Hebrew expression. And it means that compassion is the most characteristic attribute of God and flows from who he is. Mercy and or compassion is an attribute of God himself. Psalms 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is good to all, but he is merciful to the afflicted. He shows sympathy 
and provides comfort to those who belong to him. Let's look at verse 4. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The verse says, who comforts us in our affliction, meaning it doesn't matter what your affliction or trouble is. We serve a God who knows how to administer the right medicine for all of our ills. So you lost your job. God is able to provide the comfort you need to get through it. Your loved one is sick. God has that cover too. Your marriage is struggling. God is available with the exact balm you need to soothe and heal that wound as well. There's nothing too big or too hard for our God. The second part of the verse says, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You may not realize this, but suffering is necessary in the life of the believer. Our troubles qualify us to sympathize with and provide comfort to others. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. I think the following quote will make this even more plain for you. Plato was right when he said that no one has a right to become a doctor who has always been healthy. Christ suffered, and therefore, he can understand our suffering. He did not deserve to suffer, for he was sinless. But God was glorified through his suffering, which was not really for himself, but for us, for our sin. Let me share with you an illustration called Satan Defeated. Dwight L. Moody said that one of the happiest men he ever knew was a man in Dundee, Scotland, who had fallen and broken his back when a boy of 15. He had lain on his bed for 40 years and could not be moved without a good deal of pain. Probably not a day had passed in all those years without acute suffering. But day after day, the grace of God had been granted him. And when Mr. Moody was in his room, it seemed as if he was as near heaven as he could get on earth. When Mr. Moody saw him, he thought, he must be beyond the reach of the tempter. And he asked him, doesn't Satan ever tempt you to doubt God and to think that he is a hard master? Oh, yes, he said. He does try to tempt me. I lie here and I see my old schoolmates driving along. And Satan says, if God is so good, why has he kept you here all these years? You might have been a rich man riding in your carriage. Then I see a man who was young when I was, walk by in perfect health. And Satan whispers, if God loved you, couldn't he have kept you from breaking your back? And what do you do when Satan tempts you? Ah, I just take him to Calvary and I show him Christ. And I point out those wounds in his hands and feet and side and say, doesn't he love me? The fact is, Satan got such a scare there 1,900 years ago that he cannot stand it. He leaves me every time. That bedridden saint of God did not have much trouble with doubts. He was too full of the grace 
of God. Amen. So who or what do you run to for comfort? If it's anything or anyone other than God, I'm here to tell you you're in trouble. Some of you seek comfort in comparison. You say to yourself, well, at least I don't have it as bad as they do. This sense of superiority somehow brings you satisfaction. Some of you convince yourselves that things will get better if I just ignore the problem. Others try to find comfort in drugs and alcohol, which is only pleasure that will never satisfy the soul. Maybe you try to find comfort in your spouse or some other type of relationship, be it sinful or innocent. Believing the lie that somehow this person made of flesh and blood can offer you something that is only found in Christ. Our application to this first point is pretty simple. Run to Jesus for your comfort, for he is the God of all comfort. Stop seeking comfort in created people and things that will inevitably let you down at some point. Why should we seek comfort in a lesser God, a lowercase g? which is in fact no God at all. God has provided us with his word and his spirit, which shows us the way to go. Jesus says to us in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Point number two, God blesses his people so that they can bless others. So you'll notice a little bit of redundancy here because some of these verses I will repeat but won't expound on inside of these points. So if you hear the same verse again or verse skip, don't worry about it. It's on purpose. Verse four again, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. Now skipping to verse six. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Paul is basically saying to the Corinthian believers and to us, I've walked in your shoes. I know what it is to suffer. And if and when you find yourself suffering for the faith as I have, I want you to know that the same God who carried me through my struggles will carry you through too. Say someone who was cured of some disease was talking to someone recently diagnosed with the exact same disease. Suppose the person who was cured says to the person who is now sick, I can not only sympathize with what you're going through, but I can also tell you exactly what medicines you will need to overcome this disease. It has cured me, and I believe it will cure you as well. I was sick just like you. I was healed. I understand what you're going through, and now let me point you to the cure. This is essentially what Paul is saying. And we know if we look at the life of Paul that he experienced much suffering, more suffering than many of us may ever experience, shipwrecked beaten, bit by snakes. I mean, what else can go wrong with this, this brother's life? He's been through it all, and he's telling you that in my worst moment, on my worst days, 
The same comfort that got me through is the same comfort that Jesus is offering to you. That's such a blessing to know. Before moving on from this verse, I want to make it clear that what Paul is describing here is only true for those who have trusted in Christ for salvation. This verse is also not saying that if you are suffering as a result of your sin, that comfort and restoration will be provided for you apart from repentance. As I stated, believers sometimes suffer and are disciplined as a result of sin. The cure is still the same, but it's necessary that you turn from the sin that has brought you under God's discipline in order to receive the promise of comfort that Paul is here speaking about. The following story is called Making You a Blessing. Making You a Blessing. A fable tells of a little piece of wood that once complained bitterly because its owner kept whittling away at it, cutting it, and filling it with holes. But the one who was cutting it so remorselessly paid no attention to its complaining. He was making a flute out of that piece of ebony, and he was too wise to give up because the wood moaned so piteously. His actions seemed to say, little piece of wood, without these holes and all this cutting, you would be an ugly stick forever, just a useless piece of ebony. What I am doing now may make you think that I am destroying you when actually I am changing you into a flute whose sweet music will comfort sorrowing hearts. My cutting you is the making of you, For only thus can you be a blessing to the world. Isn't it true? We have somehow been convinced that our pain and our suffering is punishment from an angry God. When in fact the cutting or pruning that God allows and at times even causes in our lives is actually for the purpose of creating something beautiful in us. Now there's a sense in which the disciple of the Lord that we that disciples of the Lord experience suffering or pain as a result of sin. And sometimes that discipline can feel like we're being punished. But there is a big difference between discipline and punishment. Hebrews 12, 11 says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, children of God get disciplined for sin, which is a good thing, because the scriptures tell us that God is treating you as a son or a daughter when he does so. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline, according to Hebrews 12, 7? However, on the other hand, punishment is reserved for those who have not trusted in Christ and are therefore not children of God. They are still beneath the wrath of God that will one day be poured out on all sin and unrighteousness. As a born-again believer, you can stand firmly on Romans 8.1, which says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a comforting truth and word from God. We experience discipline as believers, but not punishment. Jesus has taken the punishment we deserve. Paul's suffering, as well as his comfort, wasn't only for his own spiritual training. It was also to be used as a training ground for those who were watching 
the way he walked with Christ. The same is true of us. There's always someone watching how we as Christians deal with seasons of suffering as well as seasons of comfort. When I said God blesses his people so that they can bless others in my second point, the image this statement provokes probably doesn't match what you may have been thinking when you heard the word blessing. The blessing is that God uses our sufferings and our comfort as an example or a training ground, if you will, to show his children how to faithfully endure suffering for God's glory and how to remain faithful when God provides his servants with comfort. Many times the truth is when we stray from God, it's usually in the good seasons. It's not necessarily the bad seasons where we walk away because in the bad seasons, we realize how weak we are and we start to, God, help me. God, please help me, God. But when things are going good and we don't have many worries, that's when we start to drift. That's when our eyes start to wander. Point number three. When we share in each other's suffering, we also have the opportunity to share in each other's comfort. Verse five. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. The sufferings of Christ refers to the sufferings that Christ endured when he walked among men in the flesh. As believers, we share in the sufferings of Christ as we live for him. The idea here is not that Jesus is suffering in us and with us, but that we have what's called a fellowship in his sufferings. Our sufferings are the sufferings of Christ because we suffer as he suffered. Look at what 1 Peter 4 verses 12 and 13 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings and that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The second part of verse 5 says, So through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If Christ's sufferings overflow to us, then so does his comfort. Because when we trust in Christ for salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit, which is the comforter. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will, I will come to you. Praise God. As Christians, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, and we have power available to us at every moment. Verse 6 says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. According to many passages in the New Testament, we know 
that suffering is promised in the Christian life. Take Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. It says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. But just as we are guaranteed to suffer, we are also promised that comfort will be provided for us during our times of suffering. This may be an odd thing to say to some of you, but I do know others that are in this room that would probably share my heart on what I'm about to say. I'm grateful that God allowed me to suffer with COVID-19. I'm grateful for that. Many of you know that early on in the pandemic, um, I got pretty sick. I got hospitalized sick. I got sick to a degree where I could have possibly died sick. Um, And when I say that I'm grateful for suffering with COVID-19, I'm no crazy man who gets enjoyment out of suffering. That's not what I'm saying. The reason I can make this statement is because of what Christ taught me through my suffering. Honestly, I'm sure a big part of what God was doing was humbling me. I remember when the pandemic started, I would joke about COVID as if it wasn't a big deal, as if it wasn't real, mostly because it hadn't affected me or someone that I loved at that point. So why should I care? If this is the attitude that I had towards a deadly communicable disease, how would I ever be able to empathize with anyone infected with COVID or any other serious illness? The Lord used this to bring me to my knees in humility and to show me just how frail and weak I am. He also used my suffering to give me a heart for those who are suffering. After going through this painful experience, I can tell you that my prayers were richer. I can tell you that if somebody told me they were sick, my attitude towards that became different. It was no longer something outside of me. It was something that I had experienced personally. When you get the opportunity to go through hard things, it gives you a perspective that you would never have gotten without going through them. We don't get these perspectives in our good times usually. It's difficult to relate to someone whose marriage is in trouble if you've never had your own marital problems. It's difficult to help someone with addiction if you've never been carried away by your own flesh into that world. It's difficult to have compassion for someone going through financial hardships if you've never had to worry about money. The list can go on and on, as you know. There's something special that happens when we suffer. It gives us a greater vision. It gives us empathy. It gives us a heart for people who are going through the same sufferings. How do we apply this? I believe Galatians 6, verses 2 through 4 has an answer for us. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not 
in his, name, in his neighbor. We live this out by not hiding our pain from our brothers and our sisters. We are called to use the lessons that we have learned through our troubles in order to comfort others who are experiencing suffering. If your past sins, failures, hurts, and pains can be used by God to offer hope to someone else, then share it. We got to get over ourselves. Tell somebody how Christ has healed you so that they can experience the same healing. We have to get outside of ourselves. We have to stop hiding in shame and going, oh, if they know about that, they'll never love me. Oh, if I told them that, they'll want to kick me out. No, God wants to use that stuff. He wants you healed of it, and then he wants you to go back and rescue somebody else. In conclusion, I just want to say thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that as a believer, I have your Holy Spirit living inside of me, and I can call on you for that power of comfort at all times, at any moment. And Father, you hear and you show up. But if there's anybody here today who is not a believer in Jesus Christ, you are standing outside of these blessings that we talked about this morning. So where are you going to find your comfort? I can promise you this, that any place that you're looking for it, other than Jesus Christ, is deficient. Any place that you are trying to find comfort outside of God, it will never give you what you're looking for. You'll always be chasing. But that's the bad news, right? But there's good news. That this salvation, that this grace, that this love is offered to you through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We know that God created the earth. He created Adam and Eve. And they disobeyed God. They rebelled against God and sin entered the world. And that sin has now been passed down to every man, woman, and child. We are born in this world into sin in desperate need of a savior. God at one point gave us a sacrificial system that would allow us to slaughter and sacrifice animals in order to be cleansed from our sins. We had to go through a man in order to get to God. But the veil has been torn. We now have the ability to go directly into the presence of God because of what Jesus Christ did. And what did Jesus Christ do? Jesus Christ died on the cross, taking on the sins of the world. And he tells us that if we trust in him, that sacrifice that he made can be accredited to our account. That if we trust in him, if we believe and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. If there's anybody here that has not done that, don't sit outside of what God wants to do. I want this for you, but I can't get this for you. Your mom might want this for you, but she can't give it to you. Chad wants this for you, but he can't give it to you. You have to open your mouth. You have to confess Jesus for yourself. You have to humble yourself in front of a mighty God and turn from your sins. And he's going to give you the power to do so. 
Because the Bible says that outside of Jesus, we are slaves to sin. You don't even understand half the time why you do the sinful things that you do. Because it has you captive. It has you captured in its grip. But Jesus came to set the captives free. Jesus said that if you trust in me, I'll set you free. And this morning, I want to tell you that you don't have to wait for that thing to happen. Right where you're sitting today, you can do this in the quiet, in the still of your heart. God is moving. God is working. God is able. Are you suffering today? He has the medicine. Is your heart hurting today? It's all available to you. We just read it. That he provides comfort in a greater measure than we even suffer. There's nothing too big for him. So unbeliever, don't wait. Because the truth is tomorrow's not promised. The next five minutes are not promised. You can walk out of this door and your number gets called. Oh, don't you want to be in that number, that glorious number that's going to heaven to live without pain, to live without suffering, to live without hurt? Don't you want to be in that number? I'm glad to be in that number. And God invites you this morning to be in that number so that you can experience the comfort that comes from a loving and merciful God. At this time, we're going to ask our worship team, to come forward. And if there's anybody who would like to get to know more about this Jesus that I've told you about this morning, feel free to come see me. Feel free to come see Chad. Feel free to come see the deacons and other elders and older folks in our church that have been walking with the Lord. They would be happy to share with you this wonderful gospel.